Yes, absolutely. And at this point, almost like saying, you know, and the sun rose today. It's like if you're buying a projector, you're not going, you know what, give me the Xenon because they're not making them. They're really not supporting them as much anymore. This is the Box Office Podcast. I'm Daniel Luria, the editorial director of Box Office Pro, the pulse of theatrical exhibition. And in this week's episode, I am joined by Sperling Reich, the executive editor of Celluloid Junkie, another trade publication focusing on the theatrical exhibition industry. The two biggest publications 100% focused in this business, joining you for a special conversation going over the ICTA Cinema Technology Conference in Los Angeles. It took place last week, and we'll also be discussing the future of cinema technology and this industry as we look ahead to CinemaCon 2024. Sperling, welcome back. It's always good to see you. Every time I, I love bringing you into this podcast every time there's something that I feel we can talk together about and kind of like dispel. Last time we had this conversation, it was about those rumors that AMC was about to get acquired by Amazon. We're still waiting. It's been like yes. eight months. Yes, I think... Uh Still waiting for yeah, that news. The, the check huh? is in Super the mail. Super confirmed. Yeah, <laughs> didn't, that ne never came through with those rumors. You know what I, else I'm waiting on after we read those reports of talking about Amazon, the billion dollar investment in theatrical. I saw a bunch of layoffs coming in from Amazon in its feature film division. Unfortunately, still waiting for that billion dollar investment from Amazon that people swore it was coming. It was about to get here. Yeah, in fairness to Amazon, a lot of people are are doing layoffs because in a year where everybody thinks everything is, whether you're on the studio side or the cinema side, you know everybody believes that this is going to be a down year and the only way to make money is subtractive in this case and that is to reduce your debt. Or not yeah. reduce your debt, reduce your, your overhead. And that's what they're trying to do. It's not good. It's not good. And it's just hard for me to look at some of the, that foolhardy reporting last year that usually when we get together, we like to talk shop about what's a rumor, what's not. And what are those white little lies that people in this industry sometimes tell themselves, sometimes knowing their white little lies in order to get either funding for their current endeavors or future funding for future endeavors. It's funny because when that happened, I did try when the Amazon story of the billion dollar investment, I wanted to say, wait, you're acquiring MGM. You're already spending a couple hundred million dollars yourself. Together, it's probably a two, like if you just stayed separate, it would probably be 1.5 to $1.7 billion in investment every year. But now you're saying you're going to spend it. So you're actually spending less money because you're now together, you're actually, this is an announcement that fewer dollars will be spent in making content for movie theaters. Okay. But in fairness, in fairness to Amazon, they have been putting a lot of movies out in theaters. Hey, we need that. It's, it's very far away from the billion dollars we were promised. But again, I think a lot of these things that happen are headlines, not stories. Because if you want the story, you have to actually click on it. You actually have to source it and figure out what's going on. And that's why I love having you here, Sperling. As the two publications that cover not only the big national events, international events even, talking about Cine Europe, talking about CinemaCon, you and I are familiar faces at all of the regionals. Now, I wasn't able to attend the ICTA in Los Angeles last week. You're LA-based. You were able to go there, so I wanted to bring you in so we get an idea of what this technology conference that usually opens the year here in our convention schedule for exhibitors, what it was like. Because we're coming into, I think as you mentioned at the start, a 
pretty turbulent year at the box office in 2024. Well, yeah, I mean, that's what was on everybody's mind. And of course, if you were to ask the suppliers and manufacturers in, in the cinema business what their prognostication is, it's going to be, oh, it's a down year, it's a down year. And the odd thing is that last year at this time, and you know whether it was 2022 going into 23 or now 2023 20, going into 24, Everybody had the same thought. Oh, it's going to be a down year. It's going to be a, it's going to be a horrible year. We're going to be, it's going to be hard to top 2022. I hope 2023 can pull it out. And now they're saying the same thing about 2024. And yes, there aren't going to be as many movies, which by definition means it's going to be harder to make as much money at the box office if you have fewer swings of the bat, so to speak. But in this case, I think there's always a Barbie or an Oppenheimer or some movie that comes along that nobody was expecting to do well or do as well that turns out doing just fine and surprising everybody. Do I think we will top, you know, 2023? I think we could try and come close. But the problem is, of course, the number of films, especially, you know, the Mission Impossible is getting pushed. That doesn't help. But I do think there are movies out there whether it's Dune, I don't know, that will do way better than everybody is expecting. And that was one of the main conversation points at this ICTA conference, this nervousness, this anxiety over the lack of stability on the release calendar, the lack of consistent titles coming in and grabbing those audience members. I expect this to continue being a topic well through CinemaCon, probably into the fourth quarter, honestly, of this year until we talk about 2025. But if we just focus on the technology itself, you got to sit through a lot of presentations about all sorts of technology. What are some of the main tech stories happening in the cinema space today? Well, I think one of the main stories is the issue with the industry itself. And that is digital cinema came around. First screening was 1999. I happened to be there just by chance, just by chance. I happened to be at the Star Wars screening that, that took place. That was in digital cinema. It was Star Wars episode one in 1999. And I remember meeting Reiner Deutzkis at this screening. I did not realize at the time that he would become such a large part or big part of my life because I was not working in exhibition at the time. And I thought, oh, that's, that's interesting. Some Texas Instruments guy whose name I can't pronounce. And I thought, well, I'll never have to learn how to pronounce it because I don't work in that business. Well, <laughs> you know, never count your chickens, I suppose, because, uh, I wound up working in this business and I know Reiner quite well now, but that was 1999. By 2005, we had DCI, Digital Cinema Initiative. We had five or six studios getting together and saying, hey, we're going to create a standard that everybody has to live up to so that the cinema industry can actually be quality and protect its content. Well, it's now nearly 20 years later, so it's 19 years after DCI, and we're still using the same technology. Effectively. And I know that if you were to ask Barco, and I, I've learned it's not Cineonic anymore, it's Barco. And that's big news, by the way, that rebranding from Cineonic that originally existed as a joint venture between, I believe, a, a Chinese company and Belgium's Barco, which had been in the technology, cinema technology business for decades and decades. The branding's back to Barco. That's confirmed, right? Yes. Well, I asked Joe DeMeo when he was about to, you know, one of the things they do at the ICTA, which by the way, stands for the International Cinema Technology Association. So I'm glad they actually have an acronym because that's a mouthful. So the ICTA, they have at the end of each day, it's a two-day event, really three-day event, but 
two-day event, two days worth of seminars. They have a manufacturer's presentation. And he was about to go on stage. He was the next person on. I turned to him. I said, are you going to explain the whole we're sinionic, barco, barco, sinionic, sinionic, who's on first thing? And he went, absolutely not. We're just barco. That's it. That's it. We're just barco. That was the first thing he said because he got up there and the sinionic label was up there. He says, that's the wrong label. We're just barco now. That's at least Joe DeMeo says they're just Barco. I don't know what's going on there. I think basically they no longer needed a joint venture to get into China. And so there was no reason to do it. But Barco was one of the first manufacturers to say laser, 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 along with Christie and and even well, so and you know, the three big big guys were saying go to a laser light source. Yeah, Sharp NEC being the third player, they're also coming in with laser projectors arguing for this transition. And we've been over the benefits, right? Increase in picture quality, decrease in operating costs. There's actually green benefits there, environmental benefits in terms of energy consumption. It's a big swing. We're seeing circuits like Alamo Drafthouse going in on this. AMC is branding its laser projection auditoriums as laser projected auditoriums. It's been one of the bigger technology stories of the past couple of years. Yes, absolutely. And it's at this point, almost like saying, you know, and the sun rose today. It's like, you know, if, <laughs> if you're buying a projector, you're not going, you know what, give me the Xenon because they're not making them. They're really not supporting them as much anymore. And when you look at Sharp, apparently it's just Sharp now, not Sharp NEC. When you look at Sharp, yeah, I mean, those are the changes that are taking place in technology. The names are changing and they're changing back and forth. But, you know, they're not making xenon projectors they're not really yes they'll service them yes they'll support them but it's not like they're developing them anymore it's all laser and the good news is that the cost of laser projection is coming down that's i think sharp said that one of their projectors the well i don't know what the dealer price will be but the i think it's going to be like 22 23 24000 for their one of their smallest projectors for you know one of the smaller auditoriums whereas before you'd buy a, a laser projector and you were, you know, talking a good $200,000. Well, that's how big that transition is from xenon to laser. And that has to be the single biggest innovation in a 19-year life cycle of digital cinema. Listen, I, I'm going to push a little bit here, Sperling, because looking at one major shift in 19 years of a technology, that doesn't seem like the most innovative way of going about things. No, and that's actually part of the problem. And what I mean by that is not necessarily a problem. Well, you mentioned Alamo. They had a little problem over the holidays, which they've been very public about. Yeah, it was out on their uh, Instagram account. They had no option but to be very big about. We have to mention this over the holiday break, I believe on New Year's Day, one of the bigger movie going days. Alamo Drafthouse uh, announcing on their social media that a number of their locations would not be able to play any films because their digital projectors provided by Sony Digital Cinema, a company that has been out of the digital cinema space, I think since 2018, if I'm not mistaken. Around that time, it's yes. Been, it's been closer to 10 years than further, if I'm not mistaken. The auditoriums affected in the Alamo circuit were serviced by Sony, a company, as we mentioned, that is now outside of the space. There was a snafu there that they couldn't play any film. Sometimes entire locations had to be shut down in one of the biggest movie-going days of the year. Alamo could not have been happy. What happened there with the Sony situation? Well, it's kind of a complicated. It goes right back to DCI. And this is what I'm talking about, the, the long and the tooth 
technology. I'm going to try and make a very complicated scenario simple. And it's complicated because it was purposefully made to be complicated because DCI wanted it to be difficult to copy content. Fair enough. However, one of the things that DCI requires is that the projectors and the equipment, the servers and projectors, check to see whether there is a certificate, a valid certificate with a piece of content. And the mastering house is the group that puts the certificate in. Well, a valid certificate has a beginning date and an end date. You know, it's just like on the internet, you have, you know, your certificate is valid from date A to date B. Well, of course, December 31st was a date B for this particular, uh, for the content. And the group that, you know, Deluxe had a valid certificate when they mastered the content, that certificate expired, and some of the equipment wasn't updated to ignore the rule, essentially to break DCI by ignoring the rule. And I know that I'm probably going to get blasted for that because that's not exactly what happened. But essentially, the equipment was saying, hey, do you have a valid certificate? And on December 30th, the content said, yes, as a matter of fact, here it is. It expires tomorrow. And so the projectors and servers played the content. And then on December 31st, They said, hey, do you have a valid certificate? And they said, well, I did when this content was mastered and packaged, but that certificate expires today in three hours. So they just wouldn't play the content. So it's that kind of, you know, the the firmware wasn't upgraded. I mean, you could point to like 20 different reasons and not one of them would be just Alamo or just Sony or just Deluxe. It's really a systemic problem that is complicated for people to understand and even more complicated for people like me to explain in a way that makes it understandable. But it all has to do with security and equipment that is fairly old. It was a perfect storm here that that hit Alamo over the holiday season. But I do have to commend the circuit for coming out, being public about this, not trying to be sneaky about it, and just saying up front, hey, we have projectors that are no longer in market. There's a tech issue we need to look into and solve. We're going to refund every purchase for today, and we aren't selling any more tickets. They were upfront about it with our customers. They did the right thing, and now it sounds like they've been back to the drawing board, and this situation has been resolved. I have to ask you, Sperling, do any other exhibitors out there have to worry about this? Because as we know, quite a number of cinemas still have these Sony projectors. Well, and it's not just Sony projectors. That's the problem. It just happened to be Sony projectors at this point. But that's the issue. And that's why the ISDCF spent a good 75 to 80 minutes on this because it's not just, by the way, you think the studios like losing a show? Mm, No, not at all. So that was one of the issues that at ISDCF, they were like, okay, where are all the bodies buried here? What happened and how do we prevent this from happening again? And the answer is nobody knows. It's not entirely clear. Welcome to the theatrical exhibition business here with two very exasperated analysts as we cover things that are working, things that aren't working, and things that will forever, forever confuse us as to how we operate in this business. What can I say? When digital cinema came about, when was this? As you mentioned, 24, 25 years ago, there was a promise about cost savings. There was a promise about making things simpler, about having more freedom in programming content, about smaller movies being able to make it out there, about studios being able to release their movies to more theaters. Very, very few of these promises have happened. 
Well, one of the major ones was, of course, that you would have only one version of a film, you know, that that's what the studios wanted. They'd only have to do one version or all everything could be packed into that one version. It could be sent out and the servers could play the version that they needed. Yeah, that hasn't happened. And in fact, Tonus Kiss over at Warner Brothers, he was at the ICTA. He did an hour with Bob Sunshine. And he said that when they do an international release, and you're right, one of the benefits is that you can do an international release worldwide day and date, whereas before you'd be, you do North America and then you take those prints and ship them to Australia and then you take those prints and then laser engraved subtitles on them and ship them to Europe. And eventually, at some point, the film would have played worldwide. It might have taken a year, but it happened. Now you can release a movie like Barbie day and date, you know, in 50, 60 different territories. So in that regard, it has helped. The problem is there's not one version at all. No, no, especially with premium large format. Now, I wonder how many versions of Avatar The Way of Water were out there. That Well, that set some like record for this industry it was like, you know, uh, two, three hundred versions or something to that effect. I might be exaggerating. but Well, another another big story that, well, it doesn't seem like a big story right now, but it was one of the big stories of 2019 before the pandemic derailed everything. We were doing the national tour of looking at LED installs of uh, Samsung's Onyx screens Back in 2019 and 2018, it seemed like Samsung had a press reception in a different city every three months. I'd see you every three months. It was great. We'd have cocktails. We'd look at a movie theater screen. We'd go back. Wonderful, wonderful quarterly meeting that we had on Samsung's time. We learned words like pixel pitch and... Uh, sure. Yeah. Haven't used that word since, but why not? <laughs> but that was going to be the big story of 2020 and forward in the cinema industry, LEDs taking over we heard some competitors in the space developing their own LED solution. At the time, the sound was an issue. Samsung had a convoluted workaround. Not the best, but it worked. We saw demos of that. The sound wasn't a huge concern after seeing that. But now it's 2024. One of those Samsung Onyx screens is in storage somewhere because uh, ArcLight, uh, Pacific Theaters, which went was out of the business. circuit that owned it, went out of business. And uh, so did that. Samsung Onyx screen, LED screen that was part of it. Where are we in the LED revolution? Is this dead? Well, I would like to thank Peter Luday from Mission Rock Digital because every ICTA without fail for the past several iterations of ICTA, because of course there was a pandemic and it was canceled a couple of times. He has given a phenomenal presentation on the state of direct view screens. And I remember going back and forth with Oliver Pash, who at the time was with Sony and is now with Barco. And I said, look, I think it's just going to be called direct view or direct project. I don't know. We were trying to come up with a name for this type of screen. Direct view is what it's now called. LED is the technology behind it. And he essentially has lays it out every year. He's very good at it. And there are now 12 different manufacturers with DCI compliant screens. I might be off by one manufacturer or two, but doesn't matter. It sounds like there may be more manufacturers than direct view LED screens on the market. Well, also it sounds like they're, I mean, if you look at, there's 200,000 movie theater screens in the world and you have 12 screens. Well, okay, start dividing it up, guys. How many can you possibly sell? And it's not cheap. It's one of the most expensive premium solutions out there. Well, it's not cheap. That is actually, there was another screening called the challenge, another screening, another panel called the challenges of direct view screens in cinema applications. It was uh, moderated by Danny Pickett of BACP. And Frank Tease was on the panel for Moving Image Technologies. Tim Reed, he's a cinema consultant. Stuart Bowling, I believe, was also on that panel, Bridging Technologies. He's a consultant as well. And the problem, of course, is that 
it costs a lot to purchase the technology. The technology weighs a lot. So getting everything into place can be a monstrous effort. And then keeping it in place. So attaching it to walls and making sure that if there's an earthquake or if there's any building shift that it doesn't fall over, that's a problem. So it's not just as simple as turn, you know, putting a TV set on the wall, that's for sure. And of course, there's all these panels. It, you know, An LED screen isn't just one little cabinet. It's many, many, many different cabinets. And if one pixel goes wrong, then you have to replace the cabinet. And now there's pixel doctors who will come in and fix just the one pixel if there's something wrong. But of course, sound is still the issue. And all of that, of course, takes energy. So there's a lot, you know, it takes a lot of electricity and a lot of heat. So you have to, I don't think as much heat as a film, a xenon film projector, but it's definitely not nothing. So. Right. Well, then, and on the plus side, you get to save having a projection room. There's no, there's nothing being projected. That's why it's called direct view. The image is coming from pixels directly in front of you. There's no setup that you need where light has to hit a screen and project an image. No, and in a new build that is on the first floor, not a problem. So you have a standalone new build, perfect. You have a retrofit where you're going into the second floor of a shopping mall and you're saying, what well, can we put, you know, five tons of, uh, and I'm exaggerating, but you know, can we put all this weight on the second floor of your shopping mall? all of a sudden there's some questions and that's you know a lot of the engineering work that has to be done but you have hey led you have lg you have samsung which apparently it has gone away but is coming back by the end of this year they're gearing up to come back i think samsung said hey there's a pandemic on movie theaters are closed maybe let's focus in another area for a little while and now the movie theaters are back up and the industry is returning they said hey let's let's focus on cinema again in the meantime they won't often you know how many stadiums did they participate in that you and I actually visited. <laughs> I mean, we- yeah, a big part of these tech tours is looking at some of the technology like digital signage, like video boards in other industries. And this is where we have to go back to one of the topics that we opened with. It's been a number of years, over two decades now. The digital cinema has been around. It's a very welcome transition but I'm not seeing too much innovation outside of that when we talk about technology and cinemas. We're just coming out of a CES show, that big tech convention in Las Vegas, where you see just a huge rush of innovation and technology solutions everywhere. We can't even get a dine-in point of sale system right. We're still light years behind being able to order a cheeseburger at the movies and not create a headache for cinema operators. There really is, I think, a massive opportunity for any tech company that wants to come into this space and clean up from front of house to back of house. Yeah, the problem is, of course, who pays for it. You know, as somebody who built a system that was way ahead of its time for film buying and built it for cinema operators, I soon learned, hey, they're not the ones with money. They don't want to pay for anything. The studios are the ones with money. And by the way, they don't want to pay for anything. So we have two customers, none of whom want to pay for anything, but they all want to be cutting edge. And to give you some sense, I won't say this person's name because they didn't necessarily give me permission, but there is a somebody who works now for one of these direct view manufacturers. And this person has a long history of being and working in the cinema business. Their family worked in the, is still in the cinema business and has worked for some of the projector manufacturers. And I met with them at ICTA for a bit. And now that they are working on direct view screens and LED screens, they're doing it for more than just cinemas. 
They're learning all about this technology for airports and for restaurants and for transportation and for retail. And they're looking and going, oh my God, cinema's stuck. We're stuck. We're stuck using technology from 20 years ago. We're still on a 20-year-old laptop. We're not even using an iPhone. We're using a flip phone. And we're actually calling that secure and like the cutting edge technology. And they didn't say this in a way of to say, ha ha, you guys are so, it was more in an alarmist kind of, oh my goodness, what do we do? There's a lot of space to improve here. And I think that's one of the big things about going to conventions in this industry outside of CinemaCon. We love CinemaCon. CinemaCon's great. CinemaCon doesn't show you this side of the conversations that are happening in the business. The side of people coming in and saying like, maybe let's not celebrate too much. <laughs> what What's wrong? What can we fix here in a hotel hallway with the right people involved to make sure we can move forward? That's one of the reasons why I think ICTA is one of the most important conventions on the schedule. Yeah, I mean, certainly there are some really deep dives where if you are not a tech head, you're looking around going, how are these people not asleep? That's the kind of session you'll get there, as well as one on esports. There was one on esports. I don't know whether they captured how cinemas can benefit entirely. The eternal promise of esports. I'm still waiting, man. I've been hearing about esports for over a decade. Sure, I mean, on a one-off, I guess it works as event cinema, but I don't know. I keep on going to so many of these regionals. There's always an esports panel. I've moderated my fair share of them. Has it worked for anyone? Honestly. I think it works on one-offs. The thing is, it works in a way that can't be duplicated or repeated easily. That's always the problem. Some cinemas have tried to make a destination out of esports. I know that the TCL Chinese Theater actually invested, not in the iconic auditorium that they have, but they also have a number of other screens as part of their complex. As part of that, they had like an esports zone that they invested to go into. You might also remember this happened with VR as well, virtual reality. IMAX started putting VR centers in different cinemas left and right. Neither VR nor esports at this point have I seen that work on a consistent, fixed basis for anyone in this space. That is correct. That is true. I mean, National Amusements over at Showcase Cinemas in the UK says they've made it work uh, every once in a while. So I know that usually with League of Legends. Oh, yeah. No, I'm sure there are events that work, but it has. if, if it's an event that you can market, that you can put out there, that you can make sure that the setup for the tournament or whatever's going on your screen works... Absolutely. But I think the way we have to talk about esports at the movies has to be very careful because I'm not sure it's responsible to paint this in the same light as we would paint a, let's say, a premium format that's coming into market. Right. Yeah. I mean, I wish I had more to say about esports. It's just very difficult. And down to the, if you're going to run a tournament in your building, you have to have monitors for the players to view because they can't look at the movie screen because there's a lag time and a delay. So there's all these, the minutia that you have to think about when deciding to do that kind of event or that kind of alternative use of your facilities. I think one of the other topics that came up was IAB. This is the immersive bitstream, immersive audio bitstream IAB, which means that it's not just Atmos anymore. Atmos is a flavor of IAB. DTSX is a flavor of IAB. So it's kind of like uh, you can have IMAX or you can have your private label. You know, it's, it's different. There's now a standard for how to master immersive audio so you can have sound coming from the ceiling. 
And it's not just that's important. Yeah. And that's important because now exhibitors have different brands and different formats that they can place upon a standard and go with whatever makes sense for their business. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the other things that happened at ICTA was Ray Begner, who was with Strong, there was a memorial service in a way for him there with his wife and child, which was very touching. I mentioned Tom Holman won the Icon Award. And then the North America Cinema Awards. At full disclosure, I was on the selection committee for this, but it was a cinema operators and actually anybody could submit a, you know, nominate a theater for three different categories, best new cinema build, best cinema refurbishment, and best use of new technology in a cinema. And the new cinema build award went to Cinepolis Luxury Cinemas in Inglewood. They have a, an IMAX there. And that's an honor that uh, was done in partnership with your publication, Cellular Junkie. Yes, I should point that out. Yes. You know, just let your competitor point it out. That's fine. But, uh, <laughs> Although, but sure, why not? Wait, wait until you. So actually, well, thank you, because I will point something out. And in the last award I mentioned, uh, the best cinema refurbishment went to B&B Theaters Crev Corps, West Olive 10 in Crevcora, Missouri, and the best use of new technology in a cinema went to Imagine Batavia. I mispronounced Batavia as Batavia, which everybody thought was, everybody from Batavia and from Imagine thought was great. They said it was like saying Target instead of Target or you know, like putting an accent on McDonald's. They thought I fancied it up, but they refurbished a theater and did put all new technology in. Uh, they have a dual laser projector, you know, 95 foot screen and it's in Batavia, Illinois. And I had to present that award. And the last thing that the award presentation said was that Imagine is the number nine circuit in North America as decided as determined by Box Office Pro and their giants of exhibition. <laughs> and I do want to take a pause and sort of step back as we talk about all of this, because even though Sperling and I are technically working for competing publications, we are the only two publications that are exclusively dedicated to servicing the needs of theatrical exhibition. And we do so 100% funded by sponsors and advertisers. Or, That's or how in the, the, in the case in. of myself, you know, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, went dipped into my savings for the end of last year. We'll do that. We will do that in order to attend these events. We are the only two publications, and I speak to those companies, not so much that already advertise, but the ones that don't, and don't cease to send us a number of press releases <laughs> that, that we do not mind running them. A number of companies do that. We do have to send this reminder, especially as we're looking at transition, I think, in all shapes and sizes. If theatrical exhibition wants to continue having not one, but two trade publications, one aligned officially with the National Association of Theater Owners with a print publication like Box Office Pro, and another one independent of any ties to trade groups or vendors the way Box Office has, like Cellular Junkie operates. We cannot do that without the support of advertising and sponsors. We need you guys. If there is any need for what we provide to the industry, we need that need reciprocated through working with us in some way, shape, and form. And I say this as we approach CinemaCon and we are building out content plans, content strategies, partnerships, both Sperling at Cellular Junkie and myself here at Box Office Pro with my colleague, Patricia Martin, who heads our sales department. We are actively putting plans together in order to have the best coverage at CinemaCon 2024 and beyond. And you can depend on both Cellular Junkie and Box Office Pro to provide that, but only if 
you can support us. And right now, as we're looking at this big event, I can say you have plenty of time to support us. We work with every single type of company in this space, no matter big or large. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how much budget you have. We have an advertising and sponsorship solution for you. And very simply, again, to all our partners here in this industry, it'd be one thing if you were putting on all of your marketing efforts, all of your presence at these events, and you saw journalists from Variety, from The Hollywood Reporter, from the local paper of wherever the event is being held, from Deadline, from IndieWire, from The Wrap, you see none of them. I know. None it's of remarkable. them show up. None of them show up. It's me and Sperling and our colleagues at Box Office Pro and Celluloid Junkie. We are here to be a partner in promoting your marketing message and amplifying what you want to communicate to this industry. And we are happy to continue doing it as long as we can afford to continue doing it. So please uh, excuse and forgive the PSA by the only two surviving editors <laughs> in this business, because uh, we'd like to continue doing this for some time more in the future. I was waiting for, and you should call 800-555. Yeah, I was like, where, is there a telephone? Am I supposed to be answering a phone? Where's, where's Jerry Lewis? But yeah, yes, thank you for mentioning that because I do wonder if people in this space recognize that. And every time I show up at an event and I'm like, how come Hollywood Reporter is not here? To find Sperling and coverage of everything that he does for the cinema industry, you can visit CellularJunkie.com. We'll be back next week here for another episode on the Box Office Podcast. Thanks again for listening. We'll talk to you again next week. <laughs>